Well, greetings once again, everybody. This is George Miley, and we are now recording the second talk in the overall series, Maturing Toward Holiness in the Inner Life. And in this particular chapter, we're talking about discipleship. Let me start off with this very foundational teaching that Jesus gave. It's recorded in Mark chapter 12. Of course, we find it in Matthew and Luke and in John and other forms as well. But in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus outlined the parts or the components of a human person in responding to the scribe who asked which commandment was the most important. Now, if we're talking about Christ formed in the inner life, ultimately it's helpful to ask ourselves the question, what are the parts of the human being? That might sound a bit strange to you. You might never have even thought about that. Or you think about parts. Well, what are the parts? I've got fingers and toes and arms and legs. Those, of course, are all parts of the body. But in when Jesus answered the scribe and talked about loving God and loving a neighbor, Jesus mentioned various, we can call them components, of the human person. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. So there's a component. What do we mean by heart? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy soul. Well, there's another component. Is Jesus just using synonyms here? Is the heart the same thing as the soul? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy mind. Well, there's another component. Is the heart the same thing as the mind? Is the mind the same thing as the soul? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy strength. Is the strength the same as the heart? And then Jesus went on to say, And thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So, to me, this is incredibly helpful and is going to provide a framework for our future times together to be able to think in terms of the human being and the different components that Jesus has outlined of the human being. The heart, the soul, the mind, strength, we can understand to be body, our bodies, and our relationships. We are social beings. God is a social being. God is a fellowship. Have you ever thought about that? God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So God is a community. God is relational. We are created in God's image. We are also relational. So relationships are central, central component of our makeup as a human being. In talking about the mind, and we'll talk more about this later, let me share with you an insight that I received from Dallas Willard. Dallas Willard has had is one of the people that has had a wonderful, wonderful ministry in my life through his writing. And in discussing the mind, Willard suggests to us or refers us to the fact that throughout human history, human thinkers have understood that the mind is composed of both thoughts and emotions. Thoughts and emotions are very much related to each other, but I find that incredibly helpful to be able to focus on thoughts and also to be able to focus on emotions and understand that both of those are part of the mind. These are the parts of me. When I talk about Christ formed in the inner life, Christ-likeness formed in the inner life, 
What I'm really talking about is that each of these components of my being needs to be reformed. Each of those components has been warped by sin. Each of those components needs to be transformed into Christ-likeness. And Jesus taught me how that happens. And by his Spirit, he causes it to happen. Again, we'll talk a lot more about that as we go into the study. As healing and then newness invade my heart, soul, mind, body, and relationships, I become able from the heart to love God and my neighbor. So as these different components are transformed, I find myself increasingly able from the heart, with all my heart, to love God and my neighbor. Let me just review with you a few other terms that you'll hear throughout this time together. All of these terms refer in different ways to the same reality. First of all, salvation. So maybe it would be helpful to talk a little bit more because we ended with this last time about the biblical meaning of salvation. So one thing I think is helpful is to understand that the biblical concept of salvation, it means deliverance. And the Old Testament picture of this is, of course, Israel's experience of the Exodus. Now, as we said about salvation, salvation can be thought about in truncated terms, or it can be thought about in full terms. The same thing is true of the Exodus. We can think of the Exodus. What do you mean by Exodus? Well, you mean Israel came out of Egypt and crossed the Red Sea. That's the Exodus. Well, that's one way to look at the Exodus. That's, of course, completely correct. But there's a broader way, a fuller way to look at the Exodus, and that is the Exodus involved God's deliverance of Israel from bondage. And that deliverance involved three megatrends. The first was the delivery from Egypt. The second one was the formation that took place in the 40 years in the desert. And the third one was entering the promised land. Are you with me in this? What did it mean for God to deliver, in the fullest sense of the word, Israel from bondage or slavery in Egypt to the promised land that he had made for them? It involved, first of all, him delivering them from bondage. It involved him training them in the desert. So it's important to understand the 40 years in the desert representing formation, representing training, representing discipline, representing correction. That process, of course, continued, but the 40 years in the wilderness was a focus on that. And then entering into the promised land was entering into the land, the beautiful land, the land flowing with milk and honey that God had promised to Abraham and his descendants. None of them happened perfectly, but the framework, the outline is there. So there's a parallel with our salvation. Salvation involves us being delivered from guilt. Salvation involves training. That was something that Jesus experienced. The scripture tells us he learned obedience in his humanity. So our salvation involves 
training. It involves formation. And then it involves, as that formation matures, us entering into this fullness of life, this beautiful life, this fully meaningful life that God has intended for us. Having said all of that, it's crucially important that we say all of this comes to us by grace. So this is another thing that we need to talk about and make sure that our understanding is clear. Salvation is all, 100%, nothing excluded, by grace. It's all grace. It's all a gift of God. We can never earn it, but we must choose it. Now, let me say that again, because that's critically important. And that begins to get us into the meaning of the heart. Salvation is all by grace. We can never earn it, but we must choose it. Now, George, you say, well, I thought it was by faith. Faith is a daily condition we choose. So are we saved by faith in, in, you know, we don't want to get here in the trap of kind of arguing about terminology. We don't want to do that at all. But I think the most helpful way to, for us to understand faith is we are saved by grace. How do we access God's grace? We access God's grace by faith. What is faith? Faith is a choice. Faith is something I must choose. Faith is relying upon. I choose to rely upon God. For what? In the end, for all of my needs. I choose to rely upon God for forgiveness? Absolutely. I choose to rely upon God for healing? Absolutely. I choose to rely upon God for guidance? I choose to rely upon God for insight? I choose to rely upon God for everything. So faith must be a choice. It's not so much, am I able to believe? But it's more, am I willing to choose to rely upon? God is a gentleman. He does not force his will on us. God will never violate human will. You know, we're going to get into this when we talk about the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? Well, it's the place where God rules. God has chosen for a time not to force his will on the human being. Because to do that violates our humanity. He created us with a free will. He created us with the capacity to choose. Without the capacity to choose, we don't have the capacity to love. Without the capacity to choose, we don't have the capacity to worship. Love must be a choice. Worship must be a choice. Obedience must be a choice. God does not violate that. What does he do? He waits. God waits. You know, I was in a baptismal service not long ago, and an infant named Rose was being baptized, and the Anglican priest that was getting ready to baptize her, getting ready to take her from her parents, he said to her, Rose, are you going to let me hold you? 
And I thought, actually, that's so profound. Here is an infant, but she's a human infant, and she has a will, and she can choose whether she's going to let that priest hold her while he baptizes her or not. And I felt Jesus saying to me, George, are you going to let me hold you? In a very real sense, Jesus is standing beside each one of us. He's not violating us. He's not forcing his will on us. He's waiting. He's waiting. And he's saying to us, are you going to let me hold you? Are you going to let me save you? Are you going to let me deliver you? Are you going to let me form you? And if the answer is no, I accept that answer. But I'm still here. I'm still waiting. I'm still available. If the time comes when you're ready to let me hold you, let me know because I'm here. Being remade into Christ-likeness is a lifelong process. It has a beginning. It may have spiritual highs, but they cannot bypass the process. Oh, friends, what is your understanding of the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit moves. The Holy Spirit comes. The Holy Spirit acts. But any spiritual highlight that the Holy Spirit may give us must be followed by a process because the totality of our being must be transformed. In the context that we're talking about here, let me talk to you just for a minute about the difference between will and willpower. Because I think this is another area where it's very easy for us to have the wrong understanding. The heart, as we have already spoken about, what is my heart? Well, the heart can best be understood as the will or the intention. What do I intend to do? What is my deeply held intention? Which involves what is my deeply held choice or what are my deeply held choices? So the will is the capacity to choose. And it's the will that God looks at. It's the will that, it's the heart that God sees as most precious. The heart is what is truly me. You might be able to force me to sit down or force me to stand up or force me to do something else, but you cannot force the decisions of my heart. I must choose the decisions of my heart. So that's will. Now, willpower is something different from that. Willpower is the belief that by the force of will, I can force myself to do something. And that's where we get into this challenge of, I want to obey, but I fail to obey. And I try to obey again, fail again, try to obey again, fail again, try to obey, fail again. And pretty soon I realize I don't have the willpower to obey. So how do I learn to obey? It's about becoming a certain kind of person. Obedience is an expression, or disobedience is an expression of the person I am on the inside. 
obedience is a function of the person I am becoming in Christ. That person I am becoming in Christ is something I must choose to allow Jesus by his spirit to form in me. It doesn't happen by willpower. It happens by choosing, by faith, to allow Jesus by his spirit to work this in me. Now, one example, and then we're finished. Let's go to the subject of sports or athletics. This begins to get us into spiritual disciplines, which we'll speak about later. Let's take running a marathon. Suppose I decide I want to run a marathon. So I think, okay, I'm deciding to run a marathon. So tomorrow morning, I'm going to get up. And by the force of my will, by willpower, I'm going to run that marathon. So I get up the next morning, try to run the marathon, and of course I fail. Why? I haven't trained. So willpower is not enough to be able to run a marathon. But what can I do? I can decide I'm going to run a marathon, and therefore I'm going to choose to train. Now I can do that. I can't choose to run a marathon by willpower, but I can choose to train to become the kind of person who's able to run a marathon. Now, that's a picture of physical disciplines. And the things that we learn from Jesus, that we choose to allow him to do in us and to teach us, those things that we choose result in him forming in us, in our heart, in our soul, in our thoughts, in our emotions, in our bodies, in our social relationships. We choose to allow him to form those into his likeness. And that leads us to the fullness of life and fruitfulness for which God created us. Discipleship. I choose to allow Jesus to teach me how life works. I choose to allow Jesus to teach me how to live. I choose to establish Jesus as the master teacher for me in all of life. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful that you came for us. Thank you, Lord. You bore in your own person the consequences of our rebellion and arrogance and sin. And you're standing here, Lord, and you're saying, George, are you going to let me hold you? I came for you. I love you. I'm here. I'm waiting. What do you choose? Thank you, Jesus. Teach us your way. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.